Hello and welcome back to the Now Age podcast. It's me, Ruby Warrington. Now for this week's episode, I handed the mic over to our resident taroscopes reader for The Numinous, Brandon Alter. And Brandon is interviewing author Cassandra Snow, whose new book, Queering the Tarot, takes a look at the tarot and the archetypes of the tarot from a queer, non-heteronormative perspective. The reason I wanted to give to give Brandon the opportunity to interview Cassandra is because I know this is a super important subject. Something I hear so often in my circles is that the wellness space, the healing space, and the spiritual space is way, way, way not inclusive enough when it comes to people who have different identity expressions when it comes to gender and sexuality. And I'm really committed to flipping that script and making these spaces more inclusive, more open to all individuals. And so when I was first approached about covering Cassandra's book in some way on The Numinous, it felt very important to to give this platform to her and to, to open this conversation up to my readers. However, as a straight cisgendered woman, it didn't feel like I was necessarily the best person to have that conversation with her. And so I asked Brandon, who is queer, if he would step in and do the honors for me. So he was thrilled to do this. And the conversation between he and um, Cassandra is super enlightening and not just for queer folks. This is really for everybody. It's so important um, for anybody who, you know, who, who is represented already well, amply in these healing spaces to really be able to understand, um, all different perspectives, you know, anybody who's invested in healing in wellness, um, whether it's for themselves, whether it's your business, um, and that I take it, you know, if you're listening to the numinous and you're listening to the podcast, you, you have some kind of an, a vested interest in these subject matters, we really need to do all that we can, like I said, to make these spaces and these conversations more inclusive. And that totally includes educating ourselves as to other people's experiences of healing themselves and healing each other. So I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brandon and Cassandra. If you're into the tarot, it's um, a really fresh and interesting perspective to take a look at. Um, and I know that you'll get out, you'll get tons out of this interview, um, however you identify. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for being here. I'll be back on the other side and see you again soon. So welcome, everybody. I am so excited to be interviewing the fabulous Cassandra Snow. Uh, you might recognize me. I'm Brandon Alter. I'm the tarot reader in residence for The Numinous. And Cassandra and I are going to be talking today about her amazing new offering, which is a book called Queering the Tarot. Is that correct, Cassandra? Yes. Yes, and, that is absolutely correct. <laughs> and Cassandra, uh, you are a professional tarot reader. Yes. Uh, and you're a tarot teacher. Yes. And you're also a creative spirit. You are an artistic director of a theater company. I am. So I'm so excited because I'm also a performer and a theater Yay. artist to explore the intersection between creativity and spirituality, the yeah. tarot itself. Um, but I guess I just want to start by asking you, how did you get into the tarot in the first place? Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt, so I wasn't exposed for a really long time. <laughs> um, I only knew like what you see on TV or in movies or something like that. And I knew it wasn't really like that, um, but I didn't really know anything else. I guess I thought maybe it wasn't even real. I don't know what I thought, but... Um, 
And then I had a really colossally awful freshman year of college. Like I had a rough life leading up to that, but the amount of trauma looking back that I went through is just really unreal to me. Um, but in that year, when I was just trying to tread water, really, for an entire year, um, someone handed me a deck almost as a joke, or we were all just goofing off, and they were like, hey, you're psychic, read this, and that was not a word I ever used about myself, so that was like a weird thing um, that they recognized and saw and wanted me to do. Um, but when I looked at it, and I was looking through the book and all of that, I just found so much that really resonated and was really helpful for me and really uh, helped heal me and helped me come into my own. Um, I think one of the big things it did for me and why I do have a little bit practical of an approach to tarot is it actually helped me separate like what is beyond my control and what isn't mm -hmm. um, because that was something I really had no idea. And when you're assigned female at birth and you're growing up in the Bible Belt, uh, everyone thinks everything is your responsibility. Like you really get it like put on you. Um, yeah, I mean, and I couldn't really super get into reading or learning with any regularity for a while between trauma and also just college is hard. <laughs> um, but between all of that, but over time throughout college, I did develop a really rich, uh, connection and understanding with the cards and then I started reading sort of as a side hustle after that, once I got into the real world. And then all of a sudden it was what I was doing. So it seemed to go from like zero to a hundred really fast. That's amazing. Thank I you. I think that my experience too has been that when you find the work that heals you, yeah, you are an authority on how to use that work to heal other people. I would agree with that. So that sounds really beautiful that the tarot was kind of your entry point into your deeper spiritual life. And now you are the entry point for a lot of other people's deeper spiritual life. Yeah, thank you. I like that. And I like, you know, I've been through a lot of really weird things. So there's not much someone can say at my table that surprises me or throws me <laughs> off. Yeah. So I think that, that even that is really beneficial to the work too. Totally. And what was that first deck that you were working with? So the one that was handed to me almost as a joke was actually that um, almost like cartoony, like Lord of the Rings novelty deck. Ah, okay. So it's so funny that that is sort of the intro into it. Um, but then the one that I started working with right away, I think was originally a standard rider weight. Um, and then I eventually picked up a shapeshifter tarot, which is not a deck I even use now, but that one was so much, you know, DJ Conway's work is so much about evolution and shifting between things that that was still hugely important to me. Yeah. I'm just asking because I know a lot of people feel like the traditional tarot decks are very, I feel this way, are very heteronormative, they very are. patriarchal. They they are still beautiful cards and they are portals, but they do flatten the experience of the tarot. They do. And I think that I was in, I was sort of in my trauma so deep that literally anything that was going to provide answers was what I needed. Um, and I think in Lord of the Rings, like a criticism of it is that it's like 
all men. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that also does take away a little bit from some of the heteronormativity and some of the other things because it's literally all men. So like, um, I think that that also helps that original experience. Um, and I think I just used a rider weight because it was what was there. But that was when I started running into problems. For my original set of things, it was helpful and it was helpful helpful for naming oppression what it was and it was helpful for naming my trauma what it was. And when I felt ready to move beyond that, that's where I started getting stuck and looking for something else or something deeper even in the tarot. Yeah. So to segue a little bit into your book, which is all about queering the tarot, at yeah. what point did that become conscious? Because I'm sure as a queer person, you're always seeing through your own queer lens. So even if I'm looking at the five of swords and the rider weight, I'm, I'm queering it for myself unconsciously. Yeah. But when did it become a conscious practice for you? Um, so in, in my, so I switched schools. I went from the really traumatic college to a small school in Iowa that was, had its problems, but was much better for me. Um, and I was one of the only out queer people on campus, which was actually new. Like my other school was small too, but we weren't alone. Like we were kind of all going through it together. Mm. But I think there were maybe 10 out people on the entire campus. And a lot of them were in sports at my second school, which means that no one I knew was hanging out with those people. And so what was happening was um, I was getting a lot of late night knocks on my door, people needing to talk, people wanting someone to talk to. A lot of times, you know, it was a Lutheran school, um, but a lot of times we would turn to the tarot or I would feel like, well, that's not been my experience, but let's pull some cards for you. Um, and I think that's really where it started becoming intentional. I think where it became super intentional was when I realized after school that I wanted to be a writer as well as the 900 other things I was doing. Um, and that was just kind of my starting point because if I knew about anything in this world, it was tarot and queerness. Yeah. So what does it mean to you when, when you talk about queering the tarot? What, what does that look like in your world? The first step, I think, when you're learning from a learning standpoint to queering the tarot is to go through and kind of root out and change or subvert some of the heteronormativity, certainly some of the cisnormativity. That's actually a big problem in the tarot as well. Yeah. Um, and just sort of the gender roles and how they're written in there. So after you get past that part, um, I think it is also about recognizing, you know, when you look at the story of the major arcana, often called the fool's journey, that is about going on a specific journey. And I think a lot when you start deepening the queering the tarot, it's about recognizing that those stops are going to look a lot different for people who are marginalized at all. Um, and what I feel equipped to speak on regarding that is queerness. Mm. Um, and so I think that's a big step to it. And then I think also, you know, I've lived, um, I've lived in poverty. I have a lot of chronic and mental illness. A lot of the people I'm very close to are still sort of struggling with money and poverty. But there's also a whole different value set sometimes. And I think it's also like, sometimes I've moved students from some, away from something as simple as like, okay, but if the pinnacles as being about career and money in this super capitalist way aren't going to work for you, let's look at them a different way. 
let's talk about those cards as being about building community, building resources, making sure we're taking care of each other. Um, and then I think another thing that is not specific to queer people, but I think it's more comfortable for us to be very open or speak very openly on it is that idea of chosen family and that idea of your friends being such a foundational support system for you and such a place of who you are because that was actually one of my first um, problems or kind of walls reading tarot was I had a lot of questions about really significant friendships and I felt like tarot was coming up a little short until I started doing that deeper work about it. Mm. Um, and realizing that love looks like all different kinds of things, which we know in our waking life, we know, but still when we sit down with the tarot, it can be very like, well, this is about romance and this is about family. And so when you look at queering the tarot, I think it's even about moving those um, concepts of healing and love and all of that, just sort of beyond heterosexual, cisnormative, romantic love. Yeah. I'm so curious if you had to pick one or two cards in the major arcana that you felt really shifted for you in terms of the pit stop that a queer person would experience as opposed to a cisgendered person, how would you start to talk about that? I think some of them, I almost feel like my understanding of the card went deeper more than it necessarily subverted or queered. I think the high priestess being about such a deep intuition, and I think a lot of times in modern day, we include kind of self-awareness, self-knowledge in that as well. When you have people who have been told that they're wrong about who they are and how they feel their whole life, that's so much more powerful. But it's also so important that this big, powerful card that really could change everything is actually really close to the beginning. <laughs> I'm gender fluid, but I sometimes hesitate to speak on this uh, sometimes, but I have a lot of transgender clients that like for a long time the death card would just come up over and over and over again mm. um and then we started looking at it me and the clients really as being about you really do have to that's i mean it's called a dead name for a reason they're called dead pronouns for a reason um it really is about that killing off so you can really live as yourself um and then i think I do think that applies for people who are queer in other ways too. Um, there is this whole life that maybe wasn't you. I know that I always had um, cisgender boyfriends and things like that. And coming out in the way that I did was really saying that like I was done with that entire life. Like everything before was dead and wrong and not who I really was. Um, and so those are two of the big ones. And I think they're two of the bigger cards in the tarot in general, which is maybe why I have so many thoughts about queering them. But yeah, a lot of queering the tarot for me is also about like, essentially getting people to love their lives again and to feel lighter and happier and stuff like that. Um, and some of mine when I queer them, um, so like a lot of people see the devil card as negative, but one of the key words to it is bondage. So I've done a lot of work kind of talking about sex positivity and how, yeah, there might be some societal pushback, but it's a really important card that can be very positive, I think. I love that. And yeah. the only thing that says the devil is bad is that same sort of uptight Christianity that keeps a lot of us stuck. Totally. Whenever somebody pulls the devil, I always go, don't freak out. Usually yeah. it's you know, like eat too much, drink too much, fuck too much, or shop too much. It's like, right? it's a good day. Yeah. <laughs> There's ramifications on the other side of it. Right. 
but yeah, exactly. I definitely think queering the tarot, and correct me if, if I'm wrong here, queering the tarot is pulling the tarot out of some of its more Judeo-Christian underpinnings and yes. releasing it from that realm. Absolutely. Yeah. And bringing it into something that is very modern and is very sex positive and body positive um, and all of these other wonderful things that I think have become a part of the queer rights movement as well and I think should be part of it as well. Yeah. So tell me, how does your book begin to address these issues? Is it like a workbook? Can people queer the tarot themselves or is it more uh, essays? How would you talk about this offering? So in a lot of ways, it's a standard tarot book, except that I kind of go through and deconstruct each of the cards and then kind of rebuild them from a queer perspective. So a lot of it is me and my experience and that of my clients. Um, I did at one point have a workbook offering on my website, but just to avoid confusion, I ended up taking it down as I was promoting the book. Um, but this one is it reads more like a uh, regular tarot book. Um, so I did that too, so that beginners could do it um, and kind of learn and follow along. But that being said, the work that I do in it really is about deconstructing each card and re-examining um, re it um, and then kind of building it back up to something that has a worthwhile meaning for people. So I think it's something that more seasoned readers will get a lot out of as well. I love that. And when did you know that this was an offering that needed to come through you? I've been really blessed with this whole project. Um, I was arts writer and then arts editor for a local newspaper that um, is no more, unfortunately. Um, but I, they really gave me a ton of leeway from early on to do whatever I wanted. And so um, I started querying the tarot there and then um, also now, a little archived, not quite there anymore, is Little Red Tarot, and they ended up picking up the column as well. So it got this international audience, not even just national, but this huge international audience. Um, I got super lucky with the book, honestly. I got contacted by Wiser, which is not normally how book stuff goes. But I think really what in those early days at the column, which was the name of the newspaper, um, in the early days of that, I really, I wanted to write about tarot and I wanted to offer something that people weren't really doing. The tarot conversation has changed a lot in the several years since I've been doing that. Um, and yet even still, I think this is still a very fresh and new thing for a lot of people. Um, or to at least have it sort of compact and compiled together like this. Um, so it really was about just putting out thoughts and ideas that I had, experiences that my clients had that um, you weren't going to read about or see elsewhere. I think it's a worthwhile thing for any reader to read because um, I do a lot of storytelling and a lot of firsthand stuff, and I think it probes everyone to just kind of examine their cards deeper and think more deeply about times that they applied to their lives. Um, in a way that then makes tarot more personal and more intimate for people. Sure. Do you feel like you traversed the major arcana in the process of writing this book? What do you mean? I mean, like, um, I feel like I use the majors not just for life experiences, but for anything that's trying to become. Because it's oh, yeah. like the major arcana is like, I call it like the 22 seasons of becoming. So we can right. like a creative project or a relationship, like where on the path are we? 
Yeah. I'm curious, did writing the book take you from the fool to the world many times, or did you feel like you were kind of in one uh, patch of it for most of the process? Um, when I was, so that's a good question. I definitely feel like I went through it a few times, but I feel like where I am now is not actually at the world. It feels almost like as I was sort of getting it out and like working with Wiser to put it out into the world. Um, I feel like if anything, it's put me back at the magician with the full being the release yesterday. And now I'm at the magician of like, well, now it's time to take those tools out there and see what I can do with them. Um, so I definitely think I did. And then I think I just cycled back to the beginning again, which is kind of where I am now. Yeah. I guess if you had to pick a card, and it doesn't have to be from the majors, but one or, you know, a couple cards that really speak to the process of writing a book, what cards come to mind? Um, I struggle a lot with imposter syndrome, and I think that all writers do, at least from all the ones I've talked to. So I think I definitely felt like I was just very in that eight of pentacles, almost studentship, like felt like I was, even though I had done all of these articles, even though I've been writing online for a long time, certainly this was new for me. So I felt like I was learning really how to be a writer throughout the whole process. Mm. And then similar to the eight, like hoping that that turns into something <laughs> and something good comes of it. Um, but I think too, on the flip side of that, this is in so many ways, quote unquote, just a tarot book. Um, and also it comes from a deeply personal place and it comes from a deeply emotional place and it comes from this very pure love that I have for the tarot and for my clients and for my students, um, and for the tarot community, I guess I should say. Um, and so there were a lot of Ace of Cups moments too. There were a lot of new emotions and a lot of just deeper connection, even as I've been rereading it, um, there's just been all of this sense of love almost new healing healing i didn't even know i needed um and i hope that that's what readers get out of it too so beautiful thank you why do non-queer people need a queer approach to the tarot um it's really personal it doesn't assume that you're it does not assume that the there's one way to live a life and so um, and it doesn't assume that you come from a specific background. And so I think from the personal, it is about recognizing that it's important and good to march to the beat of your own drum, kind of walk off the beaten path, and then honor those experiences, those, you know, things when you're reading for yourself. Um, but I think from a professional standpoint, if you're reading for other people, um, I mean, it's honestly crucial just because we want to make sure that queer people are seen and recognized and upheld in tarot just the way we do anyone else. And if you don't take those ideas regarding queering the tarot um, into account, then you're not giving them the service that they deserve or that they need. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm curious to have this conversation with you, Cassandra, because as a queer person, I can certainly talk about what it means to be a queer person, but I struggle sometimes to have words around what it means to queer something else. Yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I like it. I think, you know, I do this a lot in my theater company as well. 
Um, I think at one point our tagline was even like queer everything. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously we dropped because that's not possible and it was confusing. But um, I think it starts with wanting to really put queer people's voices and thoughts and talents in the spotlight. I think it starts with recognizing the very rich history that is often forgotten or intentionally swept away. Um, And it starts with that respect. It starts with that honoring. But I think in terms of the action of it, it's really about subverting. It's about um, seeing sides of things that someone else wouldn't necessarily expect that come from having a different viewpoint. Um, and having had a different experience and a different life experience. Mm, I love that. So queering is like questioning in a way. Yeah, yeah. Or deconstructing is the word we use a lot for the book, and I really like that too. I love that, yeah. Taking things apart. Yeah. When I think about queering the tarot, the first thing I think about is just gender. Yeah. And how gendered the tarot is. Yeah. And when I teach the tarot, I say with the majors, you have these very like divine masculine energies like the magician or the emperor and these very divine feminine energies like the high priestess or the empress or the star. But the, the real task is for each of us as we are to walk through all of these portals, regardless yeah. of our biology. Right. I mean, I think a lot of it, so, and I don't know that this is the right way for everyone. And I don't even know that it's necessarily reflected in my book. It might be. Um, But I think the first thing to do is I just tried to take gender out of it entirely. I'm a very gender fluid person, but then as part of my um, mental illness, I also like, I just kind of disassociate wildly and like, I don't identify as agender. If anything, I identify as like pangender or something. Um, And so some of it was approaching it from that point of view of like on days, I'm just like not even kind of connected to my body enough to know where I stand or, you know, who I am, what still is true, what still stands about the tarot. Um, And I also think because tarot is a really personal journey and we don't want to do anyone a disservice. There's a lot of times where I think those elements of gender, even if we recognize gender as a construct are important and affirming for people. And so then kind of going back and adding, you know, for people who are binary transgender people or people who are gay and having trouble coming to terms with that, I think that, um, I don't know, you almost have to approach it two ways. You almost have to say, what happens if we take gender totally out of this and look at what's still true? And how do we move past these binaries and what they mean? And I think the what they moving past what they mean is a really critical part of what we've been talking about. Um, and then it's also like, okay, but when are these good or affirming? Or like you were talking about, we're all supposed to be the magician sometimes or the high priestess sometimes. And um, if we do think there are male or female elements to that, how do we step back into it? Um, and I think so much of that comes down to self-awareness and empowerment and just deciding to take that on really. Yeah. Tell me what you haven't gotten to talk about that you feel is really important to be expressed around your relationship with the tarot or anything that's come up out of this process of writing and releasing the book. I don't entirely know. I think, um, 
you know, I think if people are wondering if this book is for them, I just want them to know that we touch on a lot of different things. We've talked a lot today about gender and sexuality specifically, but I guess from a pure marketing standpoint, I just want people to know that like my book includes bisexual people and pansexual people and asexual people. And um, so from just a straight up, should you buy my book? I just want to be clear about that. Um, in terms of the deeper stuff, the process, I think, um, there's a lot for me, and I think this is true for a lot of people, um, that my queerness is also very tied to and very connected to the rest of my identities. Um, and that is as someone who is a trauma survivor, someone who is physically and mentally ill, and I think queering the tarot is sort of and I am fat um, as well. And I think queering the tarot really speaks to those experiences um, and kind of talks about how all of these things make up who we are, they make up our identity. And the tarot really can be a tool for like, still how do we heal from all of that? Because there's some things I'm not gonna heal from. I have juvenile onset rheumatoid arthritis. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> How do I um, use the tarot to sort of like cope and maintain where I am and still have this fulfilling, beautiful life that I believe I do have? Um, and so that's one thing I'm just really interested in, but I'm almost interested in other people's reactions <laughs> to it. Like, um, when you think about yourself as a queer person, are there other things that you think about that go hand in hand with that? And how do you feel like tarot addresses those things? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Talk to me a little bit about your theater company. Yeah. The sort of work that you do there. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see how we might be able to bring it back to the tarot. I'm sure we will because it's all happening through you. So that yeah. is the bridge right there. But tell me about the theater company. Yeah, um, I've been in theater off and on really for most of my life. Um, my queer platonic partner and I have also been best friends for, or essentially queer platonic partners for well over half my life at this point, which is weird. <laughs> um, but because we met when we were so young, um, I was just 18, they were just 16. Um, but we always knew we wanted to start a theater company and we did something I don't actually recommend, which was as soon as we got out of college, we were like, great, let's start our theater company now. But I think that that work experience is actually really vital. And I like, there's a lot of reasons I don't actually recommend that for people. It's so much more try by, trial by fire. And we didn't really have any time to like learn to be adults because we had to learn to be business owners very, very quickly. Um, over time, we have, uh, I think, really gotten the hang of it. And um, it is a queer um, theater company, which we define as doing queer theater for queer people. Mm. I think there's a lot of queer theater that is sort of performed for allies or because they're trying to convert the audience to allyship. And I think that's valid and I think that's necessary. And also, I live in Minneapolis where those people aren't going to come to my show anyway. <laughs> um, and I don't think that the queer people coming need to hear the same experiences of why not being an ally is bad. And so um, we define it as doing queer art for queer people. Um, we had to take a year off last year. I had a mild traumatic brain injury. Um, 
and I obviously couldn't make art and make money and heal from that all at the same time. And when we came back, it felt so new and strong. We did something uh, that was basically 60 queer plays in 90 queer minutes. Um, so it was like two to three minute plays, usually less. Uh, we had some that were as short as 30 seconds. Um, I pulled a team of, it was an all queer, you know, cast, crew, writers, everything. Um, and I told the writers to write about what was important to them and what was urgent to them. Um, and we got a lot of humor and a lot of uplifting pieces, which I thought was so beautiful. Um, and just stories that hadn't been told, which is what we're really interested in. We, you know, we got a piece about queer parenting. Um, specifically, we got a piece about um, being a transgender mom. And I was like, I wanted a whole play just of that, like a whole full length just of that, because I was like, that's a very real thing in my community and there's no art about it. And so, and I won't say there's, but there's no art that is like funded and like on a bigger stage about it. So, um, I don't know, we are small enough and under the radar enough that we get to do really fun things like that and sort of experiments. Um, and we're big enough and enough of a name and have enough funding that we also can, at least on this last show, could also pay everyone decently. So um, we're in a really good uh, spot, I think, honestly. Yeah, that sounds pretty um, amazing. Our next project is a one-act festival called In a World, and we're hoping for like a lot of dystopian or sci-fi pieces or something like that where um, queer people basically either run a world or are left to fend for themselves when the rich white men destroy the world. <laughs> and I don't know, the One Act Festival is one of my favorite things we do. I always get exposed to playwrights I would have no idea about otherwise. Like um, even actors I would have no idea about otherwise. People who aren't sure if they're gonna come back to doing theater, but then they do the festival and decide to, which is always really cool. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of the scope of what we do. We also do standard, like, 90-minute or two-hour, um, plays with an intermission. Um, we're actually looking for one of those for April, so if anyone is listening and has one, <laughs> just send it to us. And we really just love those stories that haven't been told, and we really love the collaboration. We really love, you know, we don't really believe in hierarchies. I try to think of directing as just being like, well, that's my role in the show. That's what I'm doing. Um, my word is not necessarily the final word <laughs> on what goes on or how things go up. Um, as artistic director, me and my queer platonic partner are both artistic directors and we um, will say no only if we're like really sure it won't play from the audience. <laughs> Sure, um, sure. But that's because that's our job. Um, so, yeah, we try to be very collaborative. And because of that, we usually get very cohesive ensembles of actors who are like best friends and get really sad when the show is over <laughs> and everything else because we've all built this beautiful thing together. Oh, so beautiful. And you know what you're, you're making me think is that isn't a reading a play? It is. Itself, and you are the director? It and is. The cards are the characters and your client is the audience. Yeah. <laughs> we go to the theater, we go to the movies to be taken out of our life, but also taken into a much bigger experience of our life. Right. And the tarot yeah. does empower people to have that mythic 
uh, experience of their own life. Yeah. I think too, theater and tarot are both about story. They're both about where are you in this story? Mm. And how is the story going to connect with you? And how can the story help heal and motivate and empower you or whatever else we think stories should do? And I think tarot and theater both are about those things. That's so well said. Thank you. I think that may be the most healing piece of the tarot is that it can give you a container. So yeah. You understand the experience you're going through. Absolutely. And it's such a gift that the cards still work after all these years. <laughs> it is. I think that is so beautiful and magical. I yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you in as in as much detail as you're comfortable sharing how you experience your own intuitive gifts and how they manifest. Yeah. Or giving a reading or writing a book or directing a play. How do you experience the messages from the spirit world? It kind of varies. It kind of changes. Like sometimes I can call on it when I need it. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, I really need to take a breath and take a step back and pull and call this in. I do, like I think a lot of spiritual people, I do struggle still with getting sort of unfiltered messages or messages I'm not ready for or um, you know, I'm single right now and it's a lot of unfiltered messages. I'm like, just let me live my life gut. <laughs> like, um, and so, you know, I definitely think it varies. Tar learning tarot was, uh, transformative because my body has mostly at the, you know, I've been reading for since over half my life at this point and, or not quite almost half my life. And so, um, at this point, it's almost like my body knows that when the cards are out or when other spiritual tools are out, then that means our defenses are down and we have intuition and we have those psychic gifts. Um, there are certain people I honestly don't put up empathetic or spiritual boundaries with because I'm a double Pisces with a Cancer rising and I have... Whoa, whoa. Um, she's all water, yeah. everybody. Wow. <laughs> so I have a lot, you know, my bar for how much emotional labor or spiritual labor I can do is really high and it's not endless, but it's high. Yeah. Um, and so, mm. you know, my queer platonic partner, if I'm dating anyone, my siblings, like my closest, like I don't put up really boundaries with those people. Um, but even that sometimes over time, my body has been like, well, there's not a stone here or a candle lit, so I can't define this for you. Um, I don't know. I think it's gotten different as I've aged a little bit too and as I've gotten uh, just smarter about who I let in my life. So I don't know. I don't know if that really answers your question, but for me, it really does vary. Yeah. Um, it comes in through the tools, but it also does just come in sometimes. And what advice would you give to someone who is interested in kind of opening up their intuitive gifts and, and don't really know where to start? I actually always tell people to start with meditation and meditating in the morning. Um, I, you know, I have really bad anxiety. And so that's still a practice I use because otherwise my gut instinct and my anxious gut feel the same. <laughs> and so um, I think spending a few minutes every morning, and if you're not used to meditating, it's going to be hard at first, um, but spending a few minutes every morning 
getting in a clear space, sitting in a way that is comfortable to you, but where sort of energy can move throughout your body freely. Um, and just close your, excuse me, close your eyes and clear your mind. Um, and let yourself just sit there with a clear mind for several minutes at the start of the day. I think over time that sort of enhances your awareness. It sort of enhances that spiritual gift and enhances that. Um, I also think it enhances other spiritual gifts too. I think that enhances your ability to manifest um, and things like that. Um, over time, if you want to take that a step further, once you feel a little more in tune to your body and yourself, um, I think using those meditations to intentionally tune into your gut or sort of that higher intuition that's around our head or something like that. And um, intentionally focusing it that way is sort of what I would say the next step is. And then beyond that, I think learn a tool, pick up a tool. Even if you think you're not psychic, grab a deck of cards, grab a pendulum, <laughs> grab whatever it's going to take to make you feel um, like you can open that up. I'm a big fan of anything with scents for that too. So like any essential oil you can put right under your nose, any incense that is meant to help sort of bring in that intuitive self. All of those tools are there for a reason and can help. I don't know why smell is the one I respond best to, but it is. Um, it just can, I don't know. I feel like it just, it not only... I think opens up and enhances that intuition for people, especially people who are new, but I think it still helps you focus it because it is like a specific scent or a specific thing. Sure. Yeah. That's such great advice though, Cassandra. And then I have to ask you about your name because the more I live my life, the more I feel like our names are clues to our identity. Have you ever thought about the poetry of your name and what it's trying to communicate with you? I have. Um, I have had a mixed relationship with my last name for most of my life, just because like, I'm very sensitive as we learn from my core astrology. <laughs> um, and so the constant jokes about it, even if they're ju like, just about weather, and now the new thing is Game of Thrones jokes. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I have always been almost like, indignant about it for a lot of my life. But I also think it's really... I do think it's really beautiful. I do love it a lot. Um, I think snow. So I, my whole life, I've loved storms. And I, the one thing I will say about the Bible about other than the food is that, which is bad. I won't say better, but it's really good. <laughs> um, I will say like the presence of like storms and big thunderstorms is just so great in the Bible belt. Um, and I missed that when I moved to the Midwest and I missed it from a spiritual standpoint too, because I feel like those storms really, even if you don't want to, they almost force you to like clear out a bunch of emotional guck and you just feel so much better after. Um, and in the Midwest, I really had to adjust my expectations about storms. But what I found is that those big snowstorms really have a lot of the same effect. It's still, and they, I think the snowstorms here force you to slow down. And they force you to reconsider what's necessary for your journey, even to work or something like that. Um, and so I've sort of, even though I have that iffy relationship with it, I still, the poetry of it doesn't escape me. And the Cassandra thing I always think is so funny that that is the name my parents gave me. And I've always loved that name. I've always thought it was really beautiful and I've never had any problems with it. Um, 
I, I will occasionally, if a client is just really not hearing me or I give them advice and they do the opposite and then come back and are like, okay, so I didn't do what you said. <laughs> um, and now I'm back. Um, I do feel like, cause the thing about Cassandra and Greek mythology is that people didn't listen to her. And <laughs> so if I'm ever bitter about a client, I'm like, no one listens to Cassandra. <laughs> like, um, and yeah, so, but, but that one, like I a do lot really of people like. are, and it seems like with this book, you are reclaiming the legacy of Cassandra by getting people to listen and to Thank hear you. the messages that, you know, we all need. Thank you. That's a wonderful thing to say. Yeah. Well, I am so excited with this offering. I think just to open up the gateway for people to create a personal practice with the tarot. Yeah. In the same way that a personal practice with any sort of spirituality or religion, you know, like you can find your way in wherever you are. Yeah. Um, so another practical thing, this one I did write down to remember to say, um, because I know a lot of people who have been doing like queer DIY witchcraft and things like that for a while might be learning tarot along with this book. Um, I wanted to throw out some deck recommendations. Um, some of my favorite decks you can't really get anymore or can't get super easily. Um, and so I'm trying not to rave about those, even though they're amazing. But um, the Numinous Tarot by Noel Hempel in Seattle. I probably just butchered their name. I'm sorry if you're listening, Noel. Um, but they have the Numinous Tarot, um, which is really an all genderqueer deck and the work that they do in the guidebook to get us to think differently about the court cards is so uh groundbreaking I think for me it was um so that's a deck I strongly recommend and then if people are sort of on the lower end of pricing a deck because a lot of those independent decks are worth it but do cost a little bit more um, I actually just picked up and really, really love the Mermaid Tarot um, by Lisa Robertson, which of course I do. But you fall down water, <laughs> right? But it's also a really beautiful healing deck that I think would be good for people to work through with this book if they wanted that. The deck used in it is the Urban Tarot, which is actually Toth based, and a lot of my writing is Rider Weight based. Um, but the images are still really helpful, so if you want to follow along that way, the Urban Tarot is still a great one. Great. Um, well, I just want to say officially, thank you so much for this offering, for letting me pick your brain a little bit. And uh, I'm just so excited to have spent this time with you and to hear about the work you're doing. It sounds very exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this to come out. Fabulous. Thank you so much to Brandon and Cassandra. I love this conversation and particularly how much of it can actually be applied to many different things, many different areas of life outside of the tarot. I think we're really living through a time where we're actually being asked to question everything, everywhere that there is, that one perspective or one binary perspective has been presented um, and really, we're being invited now into a time where we can examine all different perspectives and appreciate that each of us has our own kind of individual experience that's equally as valid as what's being presented in the mainstream and what's being presented as quote unquote normal. 
So thank you again, Brandon and Cassandra, and to all the humans who are out there bravely putting these new, um, not new, or these different and um, diverse perspectives out there so that we can all become better educated as to who we are as a human family and all of the different um, shades of, of experience that are part of that. Thank you all as well for listening and being part of this conversation. Um, I'm loving putting this this podcast out there. It feels um, really important and exciting work. So thanks for thanks for listening. And as always, keep us posted if there's anyone you'd love to hear from on this series. Um, or if you have any feedback, you can drop me a DM on Instagram at the underscore numinous. And I will see you again real soon. As always, this podcast features original music by and is edited by alloaudio.com. That's www.aloeaudio.com.